Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Come on, good morning, church. How are we feeling this morning? We're doing good. Come on, can we just praise God for just this time of worship? Can we just, can we just honor the name of Jesus together? and just glorify the name above every other name, that name that every knee will bow to. I know they say one day every knee will bow, but today we choose to bow our knee and confess with our tongue that he is Lord. Come on, we feeling good this morning? Come on, this is the Sunday after Easter, so you came back. So this is a great day to be at church, amen? Um, But I just wanted, before jump into anything else, I just want to thank God for your pastors, uh, to thank God for Pastor Zach and for Ashley, for the Lenz family. Come on, can we just honor, can we honor them? Can we thank them for being who they are and for responding to emails to an eight, I was 18, an 18 year old youth pastor um, and for the elders of this church and just what a special environment, what a special place this is. I mean, I know that it's, it's, it feels normal to you now that you're a part of it. Maybe you've been coming for a little while but I just want to remind you of how special this environment is. Not only because you're sitting in a former mall, but because you're sitting in the presence of God here in Swansea, Massachusetts in 2023. Come on, can we thank God for that? And as, as, as we were singing the song, um, we were singing one of the songs um, about just being protected. I, was just, I want to just remind you of something. You are safe here. You're safe here. Um, and I say that because... I know that the way this church is is operated and the covering that is over this church, we come in here all sorts of different ways. I know church hurts a thing and disgruntled by religion and all sorts of things, but I I just want to remind you that this is a safe space for you to be in the presence of God. And, And I just, one of your values is that we cherish the presence of God. But then another one of your values is this, that we measure success by transformed lives. And I'm like, I, I love that because the one feeds the other. That in the presence of God is transformed lives. And in a day and age where we measure church success by spreadsheets of how many hands went up on Easter Sunday and how many kids checked in, I think Jesus doesn't care about our PCO check-ins. I think he cares about transformed lives. You know what I mean? Our spreadsheets and all that. I get it. I understand it. You know, it's all important. And I think it's more important to us than it is to the Father. I think the Father cares about transformed lives. And, and I just want to praise God for a church right here in Swansea, Massachusetts, that measures success by transformed lives and cherishes the... That's important, y'all. That's important. And it's just so good to be here, and it's so refreshing. I mean, I've had so much fun at first service and just getting to meet everybody. And they're like, if you want to go to Dunkin' Between Services, go for it. But we have our own coffee shop. I'm like, of course you do. Of course you have your own coffee shop. You have your own hospital. You have your own school. You have your own coffee shop. You got your own airport. Like, it's just, it's one thing. I'm like, why am I going to go to Dunkin' Donuts if there's a coffee shop in the church? There's a sacred, sacred, sacred brew happening here. So, so it's just great. I mean, what a, what a joy. And as a pastor, you know, getting out of your house on a Sunday morning, getting out of your home church on a Sunday morning is a rare occasion. It feels like a rare occasion. So this is a treat. It feels like a field trip. Um, but I didn't come alone. I brought my, my wife and my seven-month-old son are here to my left. So Alini and Christian are here. Um, there you go, son. Look at that, everybody. And I remember the first time I spoke at HPC. I mean, we're going back 10-plus years ago. Um, before it was the Morning Star, it was down the strip from the Morning Star on the corner next to the karate spot. 
And, and I remember, you know, we had some of these. I remember the chairs were the, the white ones, these lifetime ones. But there was a lot less of them. And they weren't all filled. And so to see what God has done in these years, I mean, it's a testament to a couple of things. First of all, the presence of God. But it's also a testament to the faithfulness of God's people. Because I believe God chooses people and uses people. And I just, it's, I'm talking a lot, but it's just so exciting to see what God is doing. Because they call New England all sorts of things. But, but I'm just here to remind all of us that God is doing a new thing in this region. And your church is at the forefront of that. And you're pioneering a new thing. And there are churches that are looking at you. And it's just, it's inspiring to see. So can we just give God praise for the work that he's doing in this region, in this place? Oh, my goodness. It's special. It's awesome. I went to high school here in Swansea. Uh, not Case. I went to a, a Christian school that no longer exists. Um, but, but I remember walking through this mall. We had senior, uh, senior lunch on Fridays, and we would spend, I mean, hours here. There was like an arcade probably right here. Um, and we would come through here and walk through here. But now to see this space as a house of worship, it's surreal. It's surreal to stand here and see what God has done. So it's just, it's just awesome. Are we ready for God's word today? Oh, come on. I'm excited for God's word. We're going to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I can't plug that coffee shop enough. That was delicious. Those donuts were awesome. That coffee was awesome. I mean, if you're not going there, what are you doing with your life? Um, you should totally go there and not go anywhere else. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Is that thing open all the time or is it just Sundays? Working on it. Of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. All right, we're reading a lot of scripture today, but that's a good thing, amen? Because if we cherish the presence of God, we also love the word of God. Matthew 25, verse 14 says this. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, here I have made five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents, here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground, and here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, 
will more be given and will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless idol into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mercy, Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We love your presence, we love your name, and we love your word. And Father, I pray that now as we consider your word, that it would just come forth like a seed cast onto a fertile soil, Lord. And I pray that it would produce in us a harvest of righteousness. Lord, this is not a TED Talk, not a motivational speech. This is not a comedy routine, not a, a time for the opinions of man. Lord, this is a time where your word is put forth, God. And your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to penetrate soul and spirit, bone and marrow, God. In a world that glorifies each of our opinion and screenshots, tweets, and, and lets it go viral, God, we want none of that. Father, we don't want tweetable phrases and we don't want anything that can get reshared but means nothing. Lord, all we want is your unfiltered word and your gospel, God, to come forth. So, so Lord, your word is what transforms lives and we open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive it. In Jesus' name and everybody in church say amen, amen and amen. A, a funny thing about when I reached out to Zach, 18, his email was uh, Zach the Levite at uh, gmail.com. Actually, there might not have even been Gmail at that time. It was probably Zach the Levi at like netscape.net. It was that long ago. Um, but he, he responded and, and what commenced there was such a great relationship and, and partnership and I'm just so grateful to it. He could have totally just not responded, ignored this email, but I'm so grateful that he did and, and, and look what God has done. Uh, I'm just reminded of, I'm 34 now, but I think back to my childhood with great frequency. And especially when you have a kid, we just had our first child, like I said, seven months ago. Um, you, you start thinking about your own childhood a whole lot more. Don't know what that sound is, but I bind it if it's not from God. Um, is it me? There we go. It was me. Um, I think of my childhood with great frequency. I was a funny kid. I was on the nerdier end of the, 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 the spectrum of like sportsman to nerd. I was, I was on the nerd end. I was on the not cool end. Um, I said in the first service, I went to Dayspring Christian Academy, DCA. Like there was no real cool kids there at all. But on, of the not cool ones, I was on the end of the really not cool of the not cool. My dad's a dentist, so I grew up. I had, I had braces for what felt like a decade with the elastics going all sorts of different ways. You know, that snap at lunch because you don't want to take it out. And then the headgear on top of the elastics. I mean, this thing is like medieval. I mean, this was already the 2000s, 21st century. There got to be better technology to straighten a kid's teeth than to put a metal like cage around his head. I have big ears in adulthood, but imagine with a smaller head. So I was like, I was that child. I was that child. But above all of this, I had a safe in my room, plastic safe, but a safe nonetheless. Inside that safe, I had a lockbox. Inside that lockbox, I had all of my allowance money, all of my Christmas money, all of my birthday money. I'm a pastor's kid. My dad, bivocational, dentist and pastor. And I remember getting a pastor appreciation card. It's like, thank you for letting us borrow your parents all year kind of a thing. And I got a gift in that card. And that money would go into my safe as well. I would put all the bills facing the same direction, fold it once in the middle, put it in the lockbox, lock the lockbox in the safe, and it would stay there. Once in a while, I would call my family to my room. My grandparents were downstairs. Parents were across the hall. Sister was next door. And I would call the whole family into my room. I would lay out my $20 bills on the bed. No germs on it because no one ever touched them. And they, 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 they would come, and, and I would say, look, you can see all the money that I've saved. And I had, I had a good amount of money saved in my, in my lockbox. And then I would say, you can see, but you can't touch. 
And, uh, and then I would fold it all back up, fold it once down the middle, throw it in the lockbox, throw it in the safe. You're probably wondering what this bag of Sour Patch Kids is for. Um, so I, I, I was a cheap kid. Uh, like, I'm not even going to try to say frugal. I know that's a spiritual way of saying cheap, but I was, just, I was just cheap. And I remember going to Ames as a child, back when Ames was a thing. And I saw a bag of Sour Patch Kids for $1.99. And although I had the money to buy the Sour Patch Kids, I'm like, $1.99 plus tax, not going to buy it. So HPC bought me a bag of Sour Patch Kids today <laughs> because the Lord always provides. Come on, somebody, in the house of the Lord. I literally said this in passing in first service, and I came back to my seat, and God provided manna from heaven. So we cherish the presence of God. All right? So that's what, and I, I brought it up so no one can take it putting it in my lockbox in my safe, all right? But I, I just remember this, like all, the, like my allowance money, my birthday money, my Christmas money, my pastor appreciation money, it was all folded up, put in my lockbox, put in my safe. That money wasn't earned by me. That money was given to me as a gift. But what good is a gift in a lockbox? What good is, is a free gift that is given to you to use, put in a lockbox for, for what? All that gift becomes good for is a periodic show and tell of come and see what I receive, but I'm going to do nothing with it. Now at 34, I wish I had that lockbox, wish I had that safe. You know, I got formula to buy, diapers to buy, praise the Lord. But, but there was something about that, that moment in my childhood that reminded me of this parable where Jesus teaches us the, the parable of the talents. And whenever we read through scriptures, I know we live in a culture that likes to say, you know, what does this scripture mean to you? And it, honestly, it doesn't really matter what it means to you. What matters is what does God mean through this scripture? Can we say amen to that? We're going to waste entire days, years saying, well, what does it mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to you. What does God mean? So, so Jesus gives us this parable of the talents. And the, and the story is quite simple. I mean, this is like VBS 101, Sunday School 101. This is like, this is entry-level church. So a, a master goes away. Uh, for a while, and he calls his three servants. To one servant, he gives five talents. To the second servant, he gives two talents. To the third servant, he gives one talent. And then he, he, he departs for, for a time, and then the one with the five talents invests the five and gets five more. The one with the two invests and gets two more. The one with the one decided to dig a hole and bury it, a lockbox in a sense. He decided to just put it into the ground. And and, and the master returns after a while, and the master is going to settle accounts with his servants. And the one that had five says, you gave me five, I invested, I got five more. The one with the two says, you gave me two, I invested two, I got two more. And the one with the one has to face the reality of the fact that he did nothing with what the master had given to him. That word talent in the scripture, talent is a measure of weight, about 80 pounds worth of weight, but when used as a currency, it represents 16 years worth of wages. So even the one that got one got 16 years worth of wages. I mean, I remember growing up in Sunday school, I thought the one that got the five got five dollars, the one with the two got two dollars, the one with the one got one dollar. That's the way I interpreted it. But even the one with one got a lot. And I have three questions for us this morning, only three questions, but I think that if we answer these three questions, it will not only change the way you think about what you have, but it will change what you do with what you have after you leave here. And the question number one is this, what have I been given? What have I been given? Notice my question today to you is, have I not, have I been given anything? 
but what have I been given? Romans 12, 6 says that God has given to each of us according to the grace that is given to us a gift. And there is a gift that God has bestowed upon all of his children. I believe this firmly, that when you are adopted into the family of God, God gives you a spiritual gift to use for the edification of the body of Christ. Not have I been given a gift, but what gift has God given me? Are you hearing me this morning, church? What have I received? Now, I can just picture, the scripture doesn't tell us the dialogue that happened between the three servants, but you can imagine the scene, because people are the same, whether in first century then or now. They hand out the five, and the one with the five feels proud, and then the one with the three, I mean, the one with the two starts looking at the one with the five and wondering why he didn't get five, and the one with the one is wondering what he did to deserve only one. Imagine if these servants were millennials. Oh, my goodness is right. The master hands out the one, the, the, the one to the, the, the one servant, and the millennial servant turns to the other two, you know, with that look, and then goes online <laughs> and gives us a really long, annoying post about this discriminatory practice of how the other two servants got five and two, and I only got one. Discrimination, this servant would say. But, but the passage is really clear. The master gave to each servant in accordance with their ability. So th- there's no such thing as discrimination. It's wisdom to not give five to one that can only handle one. It's wisdom to only give two to the one that can handle two. This morning when I got up for church today, I'm only used to one service per Sunday. So I came here a little bit earlier than usual. I'm like, wow, the Lord is awake at this time. And um, I even told Zach, I'm like, wow, people come at 830. He's like, yeah, yeah, people come at 830. And I woke up and I poured two cups of coffee and prepared one bottle because there's three of us at home. Uh, My coffee has cream only. My wife's coffee is black. And then the formula is a formula bottle. Now imagine my seven-month-old son looks at us with the two mugs of coffee and says, discrimination. <laughs> discrimination. That he gets formula while we get coffee. Our culture would say that we need to give everyone the same thing in order for it to be fair. But love says, I give you not what you want or not what everybody else has received. I give you what you can handle. It would be hatred, not love, to give my seven-month-old son a mug of Pike Place Roast Starbucks coffee on a Sunday. That is child abuse. That's child abuse. Call DCYF. Because love gives us what we can handle. Love gives us according to each ability to handle it. I love pizza. But when we get a pizza at home, I don't hand my seven-month-old a slice of pepperoni pizza and say, enjoy, because the kid's body can't handle it. He doesn't even have teeth. (laughs) But then there's also this thing where we're on formula for so long. There it is. Yep, there it is. We hit the sweet spot right there. You you, you felt that chord. It struck. There's There's a moment. Where you got to graduate. I'm looking forward to when my baby turns a year old. Because you know what they say after a year? No more formula. 
I am looking forward to that day because there comes a time where the kid can't be on what he had when he was born. We can't be in the kingdom for all these years and still be on formula. We have to grow in the grace of God, and as we grow, we mature, and as we mature, our system has to handle more. Can we say amen to that? Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm Nazarene, uh, and uh, oh, there's some of us here. You're in a Pentecostal church. Look at you being rebellious. Um, I love it. I love it. There, there's a bunch. Oh, oh, oh. Here we, here we go. Um, I'm fourth generation Nazarene. My great grandfather was a Nazarene pastor. Grandfather's a Nazarene pastor. Dad's a Nazarene pastor. And I grew up thinking I could be a journalist. <laughs> don't know how I could figure that, but I don't even know why I'm telling this story. But let's roll with it. Um, no, but there, there's what have I been? I don't even know why I got on that story. Pizza slice capacity. Oh, you got to grow. You got to grow. I don't know why I got into it, but let's keep going. <laughs> what have you been? What have you been given? What have you been given? What have you been given? There's a there's a capacity. There's a growth that has to happen, and you can't be on what you were on when you were first born. You you, you can't you can't stay on that. What, what have you been? What have you been given? What have you been given? But then the second question is this. The second question is, what am I doing with what I've been given? What am I doing with what I've been given? This is, this is the key because the, the one with the five and the one with the two understood the assignment. As soon as the master entrusted his money to their, th those two servants, he began, they began immediately, immediately to put that money to work, to invest it so that it could become something else. So that it be, could become more. And I think that there is such, a, there's such an important thing that we need to grasp here is that the scripture even makes clear the timing of it. That they immediately put it to use. I believe that there is a, a, a problem in our day and age. There's the pandemic of procrastination. That we're putting off to tomorrow what God has called us to do today. I, I love this. Is that if we're going back to that millennial servant thing. Well, the millennials would try to, you know, have a meeting and try to unpack the meaning of this gift. We're going to unpack it. We're going to unpack the significance of what. And I hate that word unpack. There is nothing to unpack. Let us take what we have been given and put it to use. For those of us in the kingdom, there is a time where we have to stop praying about what we have already received and do something with what God has already given. What I love about this church is like, yeah, I joke about the coffee shop and the, and the hospital and the, air, and the airport and the school. But imagine sitting for years on the potential that God has given this church and that nothing was done with it because we're so busy praying about it. I believe that as we walk in obedience to the Father, he reveals his will and we take that step of faith. And even if we fail along the way, his grace is sufficient. What you got to work, what you've been given. You got to work what you've been given. Fourth generation Nazarene pastor, that's where I was getting at. Is that there's a legacy of faith that was given, passed down. And the question then becomes, what are you going to do with what you've been given? What are you going to do with what you've been given? And it's not sufficient just to be handed the gift of a legacy. What are you going to do? And that all clicked for me the day, the night that my son was born in that hospital room. It became something that I have to pass this down to another generation. 
I have to pass. What good is a gift in a lockbox? What good is it to say fourth generation whatever if we don't pass it down, if we don't do something with what we've been given? What are you doing with what you've been given? So the one with the five invests and gets five more. The one with the two invests and gets two more. And the one with the one immediately digs a hole and puts it in the ground. And then the third question is this. Am I ready for the master's return? The scripture says after a long while, the master came back to settle accounts. And I can just picture the one with the five rolling up to the, to the master all proud because he, he, he made much of what he was given. The one with the five says, master, you gave me five, here's five more. And the, and the master says, well done, a good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. The one with the two follows suit and says, you gave me two, here's two more. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the one came forward and said, a whole lot. He said too much. Have you ever said too much? You're like, oh man, I regret saying that. He rolled up to the master and said this, master, I know that you reap where you have not sowed, and you harvest where you have not planted. I was afraid, so I dug a hole and I buried it. Here is the one that you gave me. And I started to ask myself the question, why did the one with the one dig a hole and bury the talent that God gave him? And the answer is right there in the text. I was afraid. Fear is the chief strategy of the enemy to lock up the gift that God gave you. I believe this, the calling of God over your life and the gifts that God gives are irrevocable. Book of Romans, it's irrevocable. I know we say in church a whole lot, we're going to take back what the enemy stole, but that's what Jesus did. Jesus took back what the enemy stole, and every gift that God gives his kids cannot be taken by the enemy. I believe that. I believe that. So, so, so that gift is given but the enemy can't take it from you, but a spirit of fear can lock that gift up. And so we sit with that gift that was given to us in a lockbox inside of a safe, and the only thing it's good for is show and tell once in a while when we remember that it's there. And we pull it out maybe on a Sunday morning, and we, we call the family of God to come see the gift, and then we lock it up and put it away for another season. But the, the, the one with the two and the one with the five, why did they invest it right away? They understood the assignment on right away. Why did they do that? Because they lived with an awareness that the master would come back and ask what they have done with what they had received. They lived with an awareness of the master's return, and they knew that everything the master had given them did not belong to them. It ultimately belonged to him. And so when he comes back, we want to be able to give an answer for what we have done this whole time with what we have received. As I look to the story of HPC, what I see is that there has been faithfulness with the talents that God has given this house, so that when the Lord returns, he could see the, the small church at the corner of Broadway and Warren has become half of the Swansea Mall because there was faithfulness in what God gave this house. Can you say amen to that? There's faithfulness. I don't want to get caught with the same thing that God gave me in the beginning. What are you doing with what? We got to stop praying about it. You got to stop laying hands on the safe and the lockbox. Nothing's going to multiply in the lockbox. Nothing multiplies. No interest is gained. Nothing happens when it is stored away for future use. Folks, the times are short and the Lord is near. 
And it's time for you to remember the hole that you dug 20 years ago and pull that gift out. It's time for you to find the key that you lost a decade ago and unlock that lockbox. Remember the code to that safe. Pull it out of there and use the gift that God gave you in Jesus' name. Because the enemy, the enemy thrives when gifts are stored away for future use. The enemy loves it when everything that God gave you is kept under lock and key for no one to see and no one to touch. But everything that God gives, he gives you to build his kingdom. So in Jesus' name, find that hole and dig it up. Unlock that lockbox, open up that safe, and use it for the glory of God. Yeah, you can clap to that if you believe it. I, I remember growing up, I said my grandparents were downstairs, so my parents could go on vacations for their anniversary, and we had coverage because my grandparents were there. I was in a twin bed until I got married, glory to God. <laughs> and my parents had a, the big bed across the hallway, and they had the pillow top, down comforter, TV in the room. All the, all the glitz and glam was across the hallway in their, in their room. So I remember this one time they went away for their anniversary to New Hampshire. And as they went to New Hampshire, I went across the hall. That was my vacation. And I remember getting into the middle of their big bed, pillows on both sides, a remote in my left hand, pizza in my right. <laughs> Loving it. I was in for a weekend. Like, it was, it was great. I was looking forward to them going because I knew that I would have the bed to myself all weekend long. A storm was rolling through New Hampshire that weekend, and so my mom called up. This is back when phones were like this. Um, now it's like this, but phones were like, phones used to be this. Have you seen that video, by the way, of like the new generation when they say, do a phone, they're like this? I'm like, what is this? This is a phone. This, not this, this. So my mom called up, and she's like, hey, hey, honey, sweetie, sweetheart, kiddo, love, there's a storm coming through New Hampshire. I'm like, oh? <laughs> Hadn't heard. Yep, coming through tonight. So we're heading back home. Can't wait to see ya. To which I said, you can't come home. I'm in your bed. And in the most loving of ways, they're like, oh, so cute. We're coming home anyway. And they came, and they didn't sleep in my twin. I had to get up and get out because the master had returned. The master had returned. That's the sweet spot. That's the chord right there. The master's returning, church. The master, the master is returning to his house. And the church cannot be caught sleeping in the king bed of the kingdom, in the comforts and the blessings of 21st century American Christianity. We have to be about the Father's business. We have to be awake and alert and doing something with what we cannot answer the call of the Father and say, you can't come back because we are sleeping comfortably in your bed. We have to get up. 
We have to get dressed, we have to get to work, and we gotta do this thing. The time of action is now. Find the hole, unlock the lockbox, open the safe, and get to work. In Jesus' name. The one with the five got five more, the one with the two got two more, and the one with the one only had one. And my prayer this morning, in Jesus' name, is that whatever God has given to you, you would use for the glory and the honor of the name of Jesus. I remember we did ministry in Boston for five years on Friday nights. It was tough ground to plow. Tough, tough ground to plow. And I remember this one Friday night I said, I was talking about serving and giving and being a part of God's work. And I was going hard, sweating just like I am today. And I was like, if you can preach, preach. If you can worship, worship. If you can teach, teach. If you can lead, lead. We need everybody. If you can bake, bake. Felt like that word was from the Lord. And then I got a confirmation during worship. It says, Sour Patch Kids cookies is a thing. I'm like, that's not a thing. Um, Sour, Patch cook Sour Patch cookies does not sound, is that good? I don't even know. But I said, bake, bake. And the next Friday, no word of a lie, this one girl heard that word and took it to heart. She loves to bake. And she came to church that following Friday, having obeyed the word of the Lord with cookies for every single person in that church. Because it does not matter whether you can stand on a platform and hold a microphone and preach, or you have a, the voice of angels that can lead us in song. If you can bake, bake. Because anything that God has given to you is given to you to use to build the kingdom of God. Church, there is a sanctuary ready to be remodeled for the glory of God. There is more territory to take. There's an airport that HPC needs to open. What are you doing with what God has given to you? There's more to be done. And so if we have been given a lot, we have to do a lot with what we've been given. As I roam the hallway of this place, thinking of what this used to be, I see a new thing of what God is doing in this day and age in this church right here, right now. And man, I just imagine when the Lord decides to return, HPC is not going to be one of those churches that says, Jesus, you can't come back yet. You can come back and be like, Jesus, want to fly our plane? You want to land on our helipad? Do you need a checkup, Jesus? We have a hospital for you. And I love that because it's a demonstration of the fact that you've done a lot with what you've been given. New England needs churches like this. New England needs people that are about the father's business. New England does not need more king and queen beds of down comforters and soft plushy pillows to kind of appease our comfort. The gospel needs to be proclaimed in this region. There are lives that need to be transformed, and there is Jesus that we need to lift up. The Father is coming back. We are ready for his return. And we don't say, Lord, you can't come back. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We're ready for you. God bless you, church. I love you so much. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.